There's now been a lot of talk around ESG purposeful activity. Investors are now looking to see what progress has been made. So you can't just pivot an organization and change something overnight. But what you can do is you can show intent. From McKinsey's strategy and corporate finance practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. As Rupert Younger, one of our guests today, points out, making substantial progress on corporate purpose can take time. But when it comes to laying out a plan for your organization's purpose, there's no time to waste. Purpose and ESG, or environmental, social, and corporate governance issues, have been on the radar of all stakeholders in recent years. But in the last year, these issues have become critical challenges as the COVID-19 pandemic has forced businesses and their boards to take a closer look at their responsibilities and role in society. With us today are two experts who've long studied the connection between purpose, ESG, and corporate performance. Rupert Younger is the founder of the Center for Corporate Reputation at Oxford University. He's also chair of the Enacting Purpose Initiative, a multi-institution partnership to establish best practices around purpose governance. Robin Nuttall is an expert partner in our London office and a leader of McKinsey's ESG and regulatory strategy practice. This is the first of three sessions we'll present on ESG. Our next episode will feature a discussion on the case for stakeholder capitalism. And then finally, we'll explore the rising importance of the S or social aspects of ESG. Robin, why don't you start us off by describing how ESG and purpose interrelate? So I'd like to set the scene by saying that really three things matter when it comes to purpose and ESG. The first of these is why. So purpose answers the question of why does your company exist? What's its resulting positive impact on the world? In a sense, why do employees get out of bed in the morning and come and work in your organization? That is underpinned by purposeful activity which often takes the form of ESG, environment, social, and governance factors. The why needs to link to the what. The what is your fundamental business strategy. Which markets am I in? Which markets am I not in? Which products am I in? Which products you know, do I stay, stay out of? And what's the bold commitments that I have on people and planet? And then the how is the operating model. Many times, it's relatively easy to get to a purpose statement at the top of your website. What's much more challenging is making it live in the organization. Okay, companies seem to be focusing a lot more on ESG these days and wanted to know what you see as the primary driver of this shift. Is it investors? Is it customers, employees? Or is it some combination of all three? Well, there's really been a a shift in stakeholder attitudes across the board. Start with employees. 70% of employees now demand purposeful work. They demand that the company takes a strong position on social issues. And you will attract the most talented employees if you have a strong purpose. Customers now are also making choices in the marketplace based on purpose and based on sustainability. Sometimes they will pay a higher price, for example, with organic food, but most of the time we're talking about greater loyalty here. But purpose is really starting to matter for customers, and the millennials and the Gen Zs have much different attitudes than the baby boomers and much more favorable towards sustainable business. 
regulators are now getting very interested in the space of ESG and purpose. The EU is publishing the non-financial reporting directive. The SEC has started to evaluate ESG measures in the United States. Activists and the public are now very embroiled in the topic through the Twitter feed and elsewhere. And then the critical investor space. Rupert, you've done a lot of research on purpose and why it matters to stakeholders. Can you share a little bit of your perspective on this increasingly important topic? Yeah, what we've observed in the research work that we've been doing over many years now, um, but in particular in the last two years in this Enacting Purpose initiative, which is the initiative that I chair, a global initiative that I chair, is that there's a sense that we're seeing a return to more balanced capitalism. And this ties in to the debate about whether Milton Friedman's ideals and ideas about what capitalism should look like are now being revised. So this idea that one stakeholder, the shareholder, is all you need to focus on as managers and as directors is being overturned. Really, there's been a big movement globally challenging that assumption, because if you look at capitalism, of course, as a concept, really... I suppose, came into existence in the mid-1800s. But the idea of business and what business is doing to balance its different stakeholder interests has a tail going back millennia. And I think that we're seeing a return now to this idea of more balanced capitalism, the idea that business needs to serve uh, the interests of multiple different stakeholder groups in order to achieve the outcomes that it seeks. So if shareholders are no longer considered the only stakeholders that matter, how and why are they influencing this push for more balanced capitalism? Investors are an absolutely critical stakeholder. And the really interesting development is that stakeholders, in one sense, are in the vanguard of the movement for purpose and certainly for ESG adoption. Now, we've been doing a lot of work with investors. We've Uh, convened 31 asset owners and asset managers, some of the biggest names in the world over the last year, uh, to help us think through these issues. And really five big subjects emerge, five big thing, big driving themes emerge. And the first is this question of having some more clarity on what matters. Investors are not really interested in fluffy statements. What they're interested in is why does purpose really matter? And in that sense, why is it material to the performance of the business? So starting with materiality is really a first critical point. The second is evidence of metrics. And metrics is different from numbers. And investors are looking for businesses to be much, much clearer on why purposeful activity matters and produces business outcomes. And that's an interim step before you come to valuations. The third is this question of alignment to incentives. It's an age-old question of how do you make sure that the the financial and other incentives are aligned with what you're trying to achieve. And I think there's much work to be done, and investors certainly would like more clarity on how how the senior executive teams are being aligned through their incentive systems to deliver purposeful activity. And the fourth area is then what happens to capital allocation decisions. Now, in every business now, every business, um, the investors are much more interested in looking at when and how your purpose informs and directs your choices of both human and financial capital. 
And the fifth area is this standardization of reporting. Now, this is something where our institution and many others, we've contributed, in a sense, to an explosion of different reporting mechanisms, which is not necessarily that helpful. But like any of these type of new frontiers, you see a big explosion in the field before you start to see some coalescing around uh, some of the most powerful or easy to adopt. And I think we're right at that stage now where we're going to see some coalescing. So standardization of reporting is going to be important. Got it. Thank you. So let's return to our earlier question about the alignment of purpose and ESG and how they come together. How should business leaders go about linking them so that they reinforce each other? The way that we think about it is a simple two by two, which is to say, am I a purpose-driven organization or do I lack purpose? And on the other axis, do I have strong ESG performance or poor ESG performance? So your purpose sets your North Star. Unilever has publicly announced over many years the sustainable living plan to make sustainable living commonplace. That is its stated purpose. Then you need to make sure that your ESG commitments deliver against that North Star. So do I have environmental bold commitments? Do I have bold commitments on economic livelihoods, on diversity and inclusion? The pitfalls that we see are that you may state a purpose but have no delivery in your people and planet. Or equally, they may have a plethora of ESG programs, but nothing ties it together in terms of that North Star. Thanks. And for the companies that do have that alignment, where they're in the upper right of that two-by-two matrix you took us through, have you seen a positive impact on their financial performance? There's been a lot of research looking for this link between ESG and value creation. And Rupert, I believe that you and your colleagues at Oxford have done some work on this. Sure. So what they did is just take a look at those companies on the NICE and the NASDAQ who have strong ESG records. So we took a look using the Thomson Reuters ICON data at the performance at a very interesting time, which was the start of the pandemic problems. So February 20, when the market started to collapse, and then March 23rd onwards, when the market started to recover last year. And on both of those effectively month and a half, two month periods, you see outperformance for the higher ESG performing companies. And we did the usual regressions that one does in these situations and even accounting for changes in ownership, profitability levels and so on and so forth. You see this outperformance from the best ESG companies, both on the downside when the markets were falling, but also on the upside as the market started to recover. So there's quite a lot of evidence. That's just one piece. I would point to other pieces of evidence like the work done by George Serafim at Harvard and others who are very strong, um, very strongly linked in purposeful activity as being a strong driver of productivity and employee-engaged performance improvements. The overall point is that purpose no longer comes at the expense of profitability. And in fact, in a lot of cases, it's a driver of positive outperformance. And that, that's good news. And so if we want to dig a little bit deeper, what would you say the drivers are of that higher performance? Robin? So we talked already about the top line and customers, customer preference, whether that's consumer preference in a B2C or a B2B or B2G these days, you have to have a sustainable business model to, to win contracts. So there is a top line growth advantage 
There is an advantage in terms of having better relationship with your regulators if you articulate your societal impact you know, more clearly. There's also often a resource efficiency. So a green supply chain um, is often a lean supply chain as you, you know, remove uh, redundancy and waste. And you do attract productivity and talent, as we mentioned before. All of this can also translate into an advantage in the capital markets and accessing the green bonds market or the ESG linked market, as we understand it. And this is indeed, you know, confirmed by the George Serafine's research, as, as Rupert mentioned, on the notion of, of, of what's called purpose clarity, which is purpose which really helps employees to make decisions about, you know, customer conversations, products, and so on. So there are very good long-term reasons to believe in a link between the P&L and this performance. And are there any downsides or trade-offs here? It seems that creating more sustainable practices might require making some investments or in some cases actually foregoing business opportunities. What would you advise companies to, uh, to think about there? Of course, in the near term, there are very real trade-offs. The McKinsey carbon abatement curve, as you may have seen, what we do is we line up all of the levers for reducing carbon. And we say, well, what's the cost of those levers? You have levers such as insulation, which is almost better than a free lunch. It's a, it's, it's a win-win in the sense that typically if you insulate a building, then you also reduce the costs of heat and running that building. This is where you have the hard trade-offs. If you're going to substitute in for electric vehicles, different energy sources, electrify your, you know, your, your grids, for example, there are often very real costs which, which you need to face. And that means that there are very real trade-offs as a business leader in terms of how far up this abatement curve do I go. And this is where the role of leadership is, is, is so important. So it seems that this uh, is where the role of the how really comes in. So how do executives decide what trade-offs actually make when they're trying to align their activities with their corporate purpose? We started to develop models that can help executives with these kind of decisions and boards as well, which we call the five Ps. And it's essentially saying, for example, on portfolio and product, does my portfolio and product reflect my purpose? CVS famously stopped selling tobacco as it went to a health-oriented purpose. That's an example of this, number one. Number two, people and culture. Am I aligning my recruiting, my promotion decisions? Thirdly, processes and systems. So am I embedding um, purpose into my supply chain, into my capital allocation? Fourthly, performance metrics. But fifthly is positions and engagement. What, what's my external position? Some of the oil and gas companies recently have withdrawn from trade associations um, where they've said the, the positions simply don't uh, reconcile with their new purpose statements. So the 5P model is a sort of simple approach that you can take to hardwire the purpose into your organization. So it, we've already discussed a few examples of companies that have implemented some of these Ps. Are there any examples that have gone through sort of an end-to-end -end journey through all five Ps to create a more purpose-driven organization? Yes. Yeah, so I think... You know, we can call out companies in a couple of different sectors. And let's just say a few words about, you know, some of the oil and gas uh, companies in, in this domain who have effectively taken a, a kind of 5P model. It starts with a portfolio strategy. So you've seen some of the oil and gas leaders divesting high carbon intensity parts of their portfolio, 
shifting the portfolio towards you know renewables providing greener retail products hydrogen cells and so on people and culture absolutely starting to embed purpose you know into the talent attraction and retention you know parts of of uh, the people journey processes and systems so really for example driving out methane emissions through the operational processes of an oil and gas company we know that methane's a very strong contributor towards uh, climate change and then fourthly you know metrics that really fit with the purpose for example greenhouse gas targets wired into the individual incentives of managers and then finally as we mentioned you know how does this affect you know my external affiliations so i think we're now starting to see some industries take a, an end to end view you know through these leaders and that's really where it's most uh, effective in our experience okay so what role do you see boards playing in fostering this focus on purpose in the organizations that they serve? Rupert? So like anything, purposeful activity needs to be well governed. And the model that we put forward as part of our first report for the Enacting Purpose Initiative, and it's called the SCORE model, it's been welcomed by major investor groups, and uh, that includes asset owners like CalPERS and uh, big industry bodies like the Investor Forum. But we put it forward as an idea Uh, really just to help boards with the question of how do we get best performance and best governance from overseeing purpose. Now, if the aim is to link your purpose intent to purpose outcomes, we put forward this idea of five simple questions. The first is, is it simple enough to be understood by everyone? Often you find that organizations overcomplicate. And if purpose is to be really meaningful, it needs to connect throughout the organization, right from every different level in the organization to every different function. So the first question, the S, is it simple enough? The second is, how does it connect to your strategy? And this really picks up this very powerful idea that for purpose to be thought about as a board as either a marketing driver is not really delivering the full value of purpose. Purpose, if it's really going to make a difference, is a driver of strategy. It's something which boards need to understand connects the why you exist as a company to the choices you make. So the connect is, are we connecting our purpose with our choices? The third is this question of ownership. How is this lived, owned, and brought to life within the organization? Is it something which sits within one organization, or is it something which is a lived experience throughout the organization? Now, there may be many answers to that, by the way, but there's a, but, the, but the clarity on who owns this is a really great question for board directors to ask. The fourth area picks up on, I think, a persistent theme here that Robert has picked up and I've picked up, which is this reward systems. And the R of SCORE stands for how is purpose rewarded? And that's not just in terms of financial reward. Uh, It might be in terms of promotions. It might be in terms of opportunity to work on teams, uh, new project choices. There's lots of ways to reward purposeful activity. The final area really is an area that emerged Um, out of our meetings with all of these very senior board directors and the investors, which is the power of storytelling. The human race has existed for thousands of years and has built these connections and connectivity and the power of interaction through stories. And so what emerged is that when 
purposeful activity is talked about over the water cooler, talked about in discourse. Uh, the examples are shared throughout the organization. Uh, it can be one of the most powerful things which will turn purpose intent into purpose action. So these five simple questions for board. Is it simple enough? How does it connect to strategy? Who owns it? How is it rewarded? And where are the great stories that exist which show what the power of your purpose is in practice? So that was our proposal and our and our suggestion for how this very important asset could be governed by boards. Okay, thank you. Can we now dig a little deeper on that reward aspect? I think there are some recent studies on this topic. Could you share those, Robin? Yeah, so very briefly, this is a study that's on rewards and incentives. And essentially, it's found that 29% now of companies are including various ESG metrics in their incentive plans. That's, you know, up from 22% uh, a year ago. So just as COVID has accelerated, you know, sustainable investing, it's also accelerated action, if you will, uh, on this topic. The strongest area of metrics is social, for example, metrics on diversity and inclusion. So now there's more than... 80-odd percent of these companies, you know, who are linking compensation to various metrics on the social side, the people side of it. Then on the environment, there's also measures of carbon improvement or waste reduction, and then also on governance and disclosures. So I think what we're seeing here is a real connection in an increasing number of companies between incentives on the one hand and ESG on the other. Thanks, Robin. Rupert, you mentioned earlier the proliferation of different models to measure ESG and ESG progress. I gather that creates some challenges for companies and their investors who want to understand how corporate performances on ESG stack up against each other. Are you seeing any points of consensus emerging on these ESG metrics? So we published a January working paper. It's co-authored by, I think, 11 different authors. And what we put forward here is a is an approach to measuring purpose, um, which critically adds this middle step, this step two of metrics. Historically, what people have done in the measuring of purpose is to say, tell me what your motives are, why the company exists, the mission, the strategy, and then let's move it straight into why does it matter in a balance sheet or a PL way. Now, we argue that that's not really enough. The right way to think about this is to tie in a middle step, which is metrics. Now, that makes sense because of two reasons. Number one, businesses tend to think about metrics. You think about what what assets you're deploying, uh, what outputs you actually producing. Is it uh, going to be more employee engagement? Is it diversity? Is it about community engagement? Uh, Is it about um, helping supply chains? There are going to be a number of outputs which you're focused on, uh, which are really business imperatives and then why you're doing it. We look at the outcomes, what's changed as a result from those metrics, and also the impacts, the effects on well-being for stakeholders. So there's a middle ground there that makes sense for, for businesses. But it also makes sense for investors to look at that because for investors to get a sense of what matters, it's very helpful to value the inputs. That's something you can actually immediately put a monetary value on. But also look at then an assessment of the value of the outputs, the outcomes and the impact. So um, this was really this is an ongoing research idea uh, and it's got, again, some nice momentum. 
As it stands, the idea is to insert the missing middle of metrics into the debate. So what does a successful ESG journey look like? Where where should business leaders start? To me, the governance of this, uh, and it's certainly what investors say they want, is they want to start with um, why purpose matters. So if you can articulate right up front that your activity sits in this frame and it matters because this is the set of problems, either relating to people or the planet, that you're seeking to profitably solve. Once you've got that articulated, your ESG commitments flow from that and they follow. Companies, I think, find it difficult to manage ESG and difficult to connect with investors when they start the other way around. If you start with ESG without it being anchored into your reason to exist, then people find it hard to realize what you're doing ESG for. And often you can find people chase what I call the mercury ball of public opinion when it comes to ESG commitments. Something can become a big issue and companies start chasing the latest big issue. Uh, The really smart companies anchor themselves in a purpose and their ESG commitments follow. Okay, so where should responsibility reside for this really important topic in terms of how to lead companies on the journey? Should companies appoint chief ESG officers or chief purpose officers who report to the CEO? Should the board take the lead, or is this something that can instead be embedded into existing corporate structures? Really, this is a CEO-level topic. The CEO is the only person who can integrate across the organization and you know and really uh, pull everything together and take the leadership to project the, the purpose in ESG but then of course you do need to develop the ESG strategy develop the ESG communication develop the hard wiring and we see a number of different models so we do now see the emergence of some chief ESG officers uh, there's an oil and gas company that's recently appointed uh, a head of ESG for example that's one kind of model Another model is that you see a chief sustainability officer often connected with government affairs. So often it's public affairs with sustainability. That's now an increasingly common portfolio at the top table who champions this along. Um, But the critical thing is is also to have the business unit leaders really involved and and championing this. So what, what we find most effective at a very operational level is often if there's a Chief sustainability or corporate affairs officer is often, you know, acting as the pivot point, but working very much jointly with the business unit leaders to develop the purpose and the ESG so that it's really resonant with the organization. One of the things we hear from business leaders is that they often struggle to communicate their purpose and ESG messages in a way that is recognized and rewarded, especially by investors. Any tips or tricks to getting that message out, especially to investors, effectively? I understand the frustration of, you know, we are communicating a lot on this. We don't always feel we're getting credit. We actually hear that from quite a few clients. And in addition to the points that Rupert made about really talking about something which has materiality and value to your business and to your stakeholders, the other thing that we've seen that's quite powerful is the notion of a roadmap. So a roadmap over five or ten years. Investors don't expect you to change your business overnight, and particularly businesses with a strong legacy. For example, it could be a legacy in fossil fuels or product or health, food products, which may be perceived to be you know, less healthy. 
investors understand that. And what they're looking for is a roadmap and a trajectory to improvement. So the notion of having quite a bold roadmap is something which, which the, the investors welcome. We've seen situations last year with oil and gas companies coming out with a 10-year roadmap you know, for the decarbonization of the industry. And the share price response has been extremely positive, four or five percent, you know, uplift in in share prices. I completely agree. I mean, I think, um, and I particularly echo the point about milestones um, and actions. There's now been a lot of talk around um, ESG purposeful activity. Investors are now looking to see what progress has been made. And I think, you know, Robin's right. These things are not uh, pivot moments. You can't just pivot. A, an organization and change something overnight but what you can do is you can show intent and the intent uh, might be in uh, some immediate allocations of capital uh, it might be in some immediate choices which you've chosen not to pursue as opposed to chosen to pursue so there's there's some very clear uh, markers and milestones which once investors start to understand that real choices are being made that are linked to your commitment to your purpose, then they can understand its material and they start to give you credit for it. Do you believe that every company, regardless of their industry, can actually become purpose-driven? Absolutely. The answer is yes. And a purpose doesn't have to be something flowery and beautifully constructed. It's a simple articulation of what is it that you're trying to solve that relates to the issues that affect people or the planet. And that's actually a remarkably powerful simple thing to say and whether you're making uh, nuts and bolts or whether you're uh, a retailer or whether you're an energy company or whether you're a telecoms firm or whether you're an investment firm you can articulate that with an absolute focus on why it is that you are given the license to exist and i think this comes back to the idea of the corporation because the corporation is a legal fiction as we all know and it's and it's given its license to operate by society we're the ones who allow organizations to contract as entities. We give them tax breaks. That's really where boards of directors need to refocus on why is it that they are given that license and what problems are uh, or opportunities are they there to solve. Uh, so I think, yes, everyone can, have, uh, can be purpose-driven, absolutely. We often hear, you know, industries under challenge, industries under challenge, tobacco, sugary beverage, you know, fossil fuels, thermal coal production. Can I have an ESG strategy? Can I have a purpose? The answer, as Rupert says, is absolutely yes. And investors and indeed most stakeholders understand that, that, business, that most large incumbent businesses start with a legacy. Tesla, in the matter of electrification, can start with a clean sheet. But for the companies that have, have a legacy, they can be absolutely purpose-oriented, and many of them are extremely purpose-oriented. The, the key things we talked about is having that trajectory of, of improvement in terms of social impact, you know, which also strengthens license to operate, you know, and then ultimately also um, performance. This is really great. Thank you. And before we wrap up, Robin, one final question. Can you just share maybe the first step that business leaders who want to more explicitly embed purpose in their organizations need to take? I'll just call out two things. Number one is, uh, you know, pose the question about materiality and value at stake. So what, what really does matter to, to my business and to my stakeholders above all else? And no more than four or five, you know, materiality factors for your own, you know, business. So that's one thing on Monday morning, if you will, 
the question of you know materiality. The second question is what I would describe as focus. So I think you know that some of the most successful ESG leaders that, that, that Rupert mentioned do have a focus. They have a focus on a sustainable living or reimagining energy, you know, or reimagining food, and that drives into two or three very clear ESG commitments. So there really is a question about where you where you want to lead in your sector versus where you are quite happy sharing or following trends. So the notion of lead, share, and follow, and leading on one or two topics maximum, um, because that focus will mean that you have much more impact, both with your colleagues and also externally with the market. Rupert, Robin, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a great conversation, and thank you to everyone for listening. As I mentioned earlier, in our next episode, we'll explore the case for stakeholder capitalism before then turning to the rising importance of the S in ESG. We'll also share transcripts of these discussions on the Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page, available at mckinsey.com slash ITSR. And that's where you can also easily explore our library of more than 80 previous podcasts. If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, please email us at inside the strategy room at mckinsey.com. If you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights, you can sign up on the bottom of our podcast collection page, um, mckinsey.com slash ITSR. You can sign up on the bottom of our podcast collection page on mckinsey.com slash ITSR. You can also follow us on Twitter at MCK strategy and connect with us on our McKinsey strategy and corporate finance LinkedIn page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again soon inside the strategy room.